Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to have chief business officers reflect on their careers and offer personal examples of how they have navigated difficult situations and learn from their experiences as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for tuning in today. It is a pleasure to be here with you. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I am very honored to be joined today by Betty Roberts, Vice President for Finance and Administration at the College of New Rochelle. Welcome, Betty. Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Appreciate it. Your current role is a new one. You've been with the college, it'll be a year in August of 2015, so not even not even a year. Can you talk about the story of how you landed where you are today? It's very interesting. I had uh, spent some time as a chief operating officer at a historically black college in Mississippi. And um, the fit wasn't what I thought it should be. And so I decided I would transition and began looking at a number of institutions that I wanted to engage with. Uh, This one came high up on the radar in terms of its diversity, its location being East Coast, which brings me back home, Mm. and um, interviewed uh, with the president, found her energy contagious, a good match, and decided this is where I wanted to be. And so that was after a number of interviews with a a variety of institutions. So I packed up, moved here, uh, a year ago, the first week in August. So I'm, I'm just delighted to be here because it is a good fit. So the College of New Rochelle, am, am I correct in, in thinking that it is all women on the undergraduate level? You are correct. That, I think that's what made it so interesting and exciting for me to engage with. I, I had made a decision early or mid-career, I should say, that I really wanted to have a flavor of a variety of institutions to work through my career with. So the College of New Rochelle is 20 miles north of New York City. The undergrad, Mm -hmm. uh, arts and sciences, uh, is all female. But we also have a graduate program that is co-ed, as well as a school of nursing on this main campus. I think part of the excitement was they have adult education or it's what we call the School of New Resources. Mm. So we have four, I'm counting four, maybe it's five campuses strategically located throughout the New York region uh, directed toward adult learners, Harlem, Bronx, Co-op City, what we call DC 37, which is Uh, educational facility for union-oriented or union employees, service employees for those for uh, the New York area. Uh, And uh, we have one, uh, I guess we call it co-op city. So I don't know if I named them all, but 
you know, it's 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 the beauty of this institution because it is so spread out and so diverse. That's quite a wide variety of constituents that you're you're working with. How does that change your role or present you with new opportunities or challenges? I don't know that it changes the role. Uh, because as a chief business officer, you you still have to deliver services regardless of the constituent base. Right. Uh, so it doesn't really change the role, but it certainly requires that I be more visible uh, in terms of ensuring services and administrative functions are moving smoothly across all those sectors. So I don't know that the constituency changes me uh, or what I deliver in any major way. Anything that's surprised you about this transition? Again, you've been there just under a year. I'm sure there are plenty of things that will be that will be still part of the transition for years to come. But anything that's surprised you transitioning from one university system to the next? I don't believe I'm still, you know, readjusting. But I think it's because, you know, culturally, for me, I'm home. So there hasn't been any real readjustment. Uh, I think the issues have been um, this, kind of the same across the board, regardless of whether I was at a major research or private or an HBCU. Um, I think this is my first private. And so if I would say things I weren't expecting is truly, you know, we continue to say revenues are generated by enrollment, by fundraising, the emphasis on that is so great, much more so than having been at state-oriented institutions. So I won't say that's uh, surprising as much as an awakening to how important that becomes as a revenue stream. Perhaps you could take us back to your earliest professional days. Did you always know that higher education was calling your name professionally? You know, that's interesting because, you know, I certainly have, I will say, they, they, I'm, I'm referred to as a seasoned leader. <laughs> and I put that word in quotes because every time someone <laughs> says it, I go, okay, they're trying to say I'm old. <laughs> Never. But, when I started out, education really was, it was either education or nursing was where women were traditionally uh, going career-wise. And so I really started out in the public school sector. It was not until, you know, I was offered a position um, at the University of Missouri early in my career that I began to see uh, that it really was my calling to work with you know, young adults or adults, if you will. And I I started out in the admissions area from their student affairs, but I then began to see the back end of, of higher education or what I considered the back end or what I would liken to a corporate kind of sector, uh, you know, running the business operations, the engine that makes faculty able to do what they do, students able to be in an environment that's conducive to learning. So I think once I got that bug early in my career, it just was such a wonderful, you know, direction for me. And I've kind of stayed in it over 30 years. So was it my initial uh, thought? Nah, no, it didn't. But I'm glad I discovered 
this because, as I said, it's been over 30 years and I moved out of the public school sector to this world. Talk a little bit about what it was like to be uh, or what it is like to be a woman in, in this university setting. It sounds like you were really um, uh, one of the first women to be to be taking on one of these roles. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think starting out, it was very difficult, you know, because, you know, being on the business side of higher education, um, I didn't find many women uh, to engage with, with regards to services, etc. So, for example, you know, building a building, the contractors, the construction people, the architects, everyone was, you know, it was a male-dominated world. Uh, even dealing with corporations in terms of contracts, et cetera, is very, you know, male-dominated. And so it it really, you know, called for a strength of being able to take every challenge head-on, questioning my capability as a woman. Uh, and so it just really made me do more homework in terms of, you know, how do I stay strong and knowledgeable in the arenas that were not necessarily open to women? So it was extremely challenging starting out uh, uh, because I didn't have a lot of mentors or peers I could 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 uh, engage with. But then I began to see that, you know, my strengthening and my development as, you know, a leader in this particular arena uh, required that I be be more engaged in uh, external opportunities, whether that was, I remember my first one being Arizona State, was having a leadership development program called Women for the 21st Century or something like that. And I began then to see what did I need to have to take those challenges head on. It was very difficult in the very beginning. But the other thing is I had very nurturing leaders supporting me. Uh, they were all male, but it kind of took me under their wings and you know, took my mistakes as opportunities for learning. And I think without those wonderful leaders or males, you know, who were heading up the organizations I was affiliated with, I don't think it would have been successful. I could take to them the issue of, say, a contractor who wouldn't respond or who would challenge, you know, where I'm saying that uh, we needed to move a wall or et cetera. And they were there. They were there. They were supportive. They were nurturing. And throughout my career, I continue to look for those kinds of relationships to help me to take those challenges head on. One of the common threads that I've heard, at least in interviewing CBOs over the past month or so, is that mentorship is really important to nurturing a career. How would you say, have you tried to do that for others and in particular uh, women in this in this field? You know, that's my give back. And that is to find opportunities to grow people. It's such a priority for me. I will see a person that I think has great potential. I will encourage them to development activities outside of the institution, or I will create opportunities for them to take a leadership role within the institution. I think it's, it's important and because I know what it did for me. 
So I really, really do emphasize um, that that development is so important. I remember a program um, that I began at one institution, and it was defined as the minority uh, entry professional program, where I took, you know, a young person and paired them with my finance director and just began to develop that person with various projects that I thought were pretty significant and would give those skill sets. And years later, you know, I get a card and a, a beautiful pin from this person who said he just completed his MBA and he wanted to thank me for opening that door of opportunity. I think we have to do it. You know, and, and women especially, it's, you know, there's still too few of us in that, you know, senior leadership role. And I will ask folks to represent me, you know, at various uh, meetings, et cetera, trying to give them that exposure as best I can. And I delight when I see them grow, I delight when I see them take leadership positions other places. And I'm always pushing them out of the nest. My bosses did that for me. And I will be forever grateful to every single one of them. What does great potential look like to you when you see somebody that you say, okay, these are, I need to create opportunities or encourage this person? What, what does that look like to you? When I can see a person who is not intimidated by something new, you know, you'll throw a task out there and there are those who will flounder, who need to touch base with you 10 times in order to, 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 to make that project work. But then there are those, you know, who just take that bull by the horn. They will do their own research. They will do their own benchmarking. And, uh, you know, they've got that motivation. They've got that, you know, that that spirit of tenacity. And you can see that in people. You can see an openness. You can see a willingness to willingness to collaborate. Uh, they're not territorial. They're not the I person. You know, they, they love to use, you know, the, the words we uh, because they have a team approach to what they do. And I see those people and I will pick them out of the crowd. And I tell you, you know, uh, the organization isn't always full of those folk, but you, know, <laughs> you see them. They stand out, huh? They stand out. <laughs> <laughs> when you think back over your career, what can you point to something that you would say was a real aha moment for you in terms of your own career track and what it means to be a CBO? I think the greatest aha moment for me you know, as I was rising through those ranks from director to assistant VP to associate, you know, is when I could make a decision and was empowered to make decisions that impacted so significantly and so bountifully the well-being of an institution. And to understand that, you know, I had that ability you know, to evaluate, to, to, to bring others in as part of that evaluation and coming out of there, that as a decision maker to really help move an institution forward, you know, it was my aha moment. It was, you know, this is what I'm here to do. 
this is what the role of a chief business officer is all about. And um, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, which of those opportunities at, at what level it came. I think most significantly was when online learning was just coming on board. And I got to, you know, and the system was very klutzy at that time. And I met with a group of faculty who said, we want it off our campus. You know, we want the system off our campus, uh, you know, and I said, give me six weeks. And I began working with the vendor and, and my staff and we got that system up and going. So, you know, and I was able to go back and say, we've now gone from seven courses to over 400 by the time that I had left. But it was my ability to say, give me a chance, then began working with the company to roll out one of the first major online enterprise systems. So that was the aha. That was the aha to say, you can do this. You can make a difference. It just, it really just emboldened me in so many ways. What would you say is the biggest challenge facing all CBOs today? I think it is the same all over and it is being able to evaluate your systems in terms of their efficiencies, in terms of the value add to the institution. And you do that because we know we are constrained by revenues. We see that, or I see that as the greatest challenge. And so it means for me, you know, in terms of, of, of what I'm doing is that I'm truly evaluating, you know, I'm new. So I'm evaluating every contract this institution has in play to determine we're getting the best of value. Resource constraints are, are throttling us in so many ways. I, I think that's foremost. I think um, ensuring that our systems in terms of, of, of what we deliver, whether that's food services, whether that's uh, bookstores, whether that's any of the auxiliaries, uh, transportation services are user-friendly. You know, uh, it's it's really interesting. Years ago, I sat on something called a student friendliness committee, and I thought, oh, well, how weird. We aren't friendly. <laughs> you know, but it was because students would get involved in vicious phone trees. So I think one you know, the resource constraints and reevaluating systems to make sure that we're running as efficiently and as effectively as possible, that our systems are responsive, because that has much uh, impact enrollment. I, I, can't, I keep saying to people that, you know, if your systems are not friendly, who wants to be engaged with you? So that, I think the other challenge that, you know, I see is, we have to be more community oriented. And I'm not just talking about the community, you know, that, you know, surrounds us, meaning the campus, but the external aspect of that, uh, you know, because more and more I'm finding economic development 
is not just for your institution, but it's your institution in collaboration with with community organizations. So the push to do all you've got to do plus be external. You know, there's probably a myriad of those. The governmental regulations, compliance is becoming more and more time consuming, uh, you know, as various uh, laws are coming out and we've got to adhere and we've got to report and it's it's all of those are not the plethora of challenges but some of the most significant ones I'm facing it, the role of the CBO is absolutely such a multifaceted one and you've just named off a bunch of different things that you always need to be paying attention to what would you say are resources or routines you use to keep you, up to date on current trends. You know, I I read. What what sorts of things do you read? You know, believe it or not, the Chronicle mm-hmm. keeps me really understanding what's going on politically, legislatively. That's one thing. Um, I can go to the Nakubo website, you know, and whether it's an issue on taxation, whether it's an issue on accounting. Uh, that's a source. I can pick up the phone and call my colleagues in the industry. Uh, They become quite important to me. I remember at one institution I was looking at, you know, doing some privatization for housing, uh, residential facilities. And I could pick up the phone and call my colleagues in another state and say, you know, I read that you did this. How did you do it? See, that becomes important. I, you know, go to conferences, I still do, uh, because sharing of information in terms of how you do what you do, uh, can I replicate that? How do I replicate that? That becomes important. I read the Inside inside Higher Education. I read University Business Daily. Those are wonderful tools to, you know, help me understand what's going on in that in our industry, it's just, you know, tools. Um, But I find more the benchmarking, the reach out to colleagues, when I read something about what they're doing, uh, I participate in webinars. They come across the screen all day long. (laughs) (laughs) There's no shortage, right? It's like, oh, you know, wanna know the latest in this, wanna know the latest in that, sign up. Uh, you know, Title IX is the biggest one, even though we're on the business side, it does impact us. You know, for example, you know, I have human resources. You know, that that's pretty significant. So those are my tools. Those are my tools. Betty, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to be where you are today? Somebody who's just starting out their career in the university setting, what advice would you give to them just knowing all that you've learned over the years? You know, it, for me, you know, as I think back through that journey, you know, and I mean to tell you, some of those obstacles were great. Right. You know, for example, you know, there was an assistant director role that came up. And though none of my colleagues had advanced degrees, I was told that I could not get the position because I didn't have the, quote, degree. So I went and got it. <laughs> and I took it to the to what is considered the final degree in higher education so that no one could ever tell me 
that I was not qualified. So I think what I would say to folks, don't let others be your obstacle to success. You know, take every challenge head on. So that's one, I would say tenacity. You know, I always have said, and I am, even when I speak to groups, when opportunity knocks, be prepared to open the door. You know, because if you don't, you don't know when that opportunity will avail itself again. For me, it has taken a toll because, you know, those opportunities weren't a straight up through a single institution. It meant I had to move and be flexible in, you know, taking on a new institution. But for me, that that had to be my stepping stone to what I wanted. I think, you know, the goal orientation, because I knew 15 years ago I, I achieved my goal of being a VP. So, but it was because I was willing to get out and network. I was willing to create, you know, uh, a bonding opportunities with, with colleagues. So when an opportunity or a job came up, it was, oh, we know this woman over here named Betty Roberts. So it is about tenacity. It is about not letting others make obstacles for you uh, that you can't see a way around. It's being poised and flexible to grab that opportunity when it presents itself. And it's about being positive that you can accomplish what you set out as your goal. Anything else you'd like to share that I have not asked you today? No, I... Well, I say no, and then I begin to answer. (laughs) I just want, or maybe I'm affirming to those who are CBOs, that it is a a very diverse and challenging role. But you just have to be prepared to have that flexibility and understanding of what that means. And I was relating that as I think back over my career career and the strengthening, I said I've dealt with a number of issues, whether that has been the flooding of the campus where, you know, the research was potentially threatened or bomb scares or buildings caught on fire or email systems down for two and three days or dealing with hurricanes and tornadoes that threaten the campus or, you know, uh, preparing campus for emergency preparedness. I mean, it just is such a diverse uh, set of skills. But the thing I think people need to understand, not only the challenges, but you don't have to be an expert at everything. But you have to surround yourself with people, you know, who are willing to help you take those tasks head on, those deal with those challenges head on. And if you keep that in mind, that it's not about a one-person show to make this job uh, successful. I think that person will be successful. Thank you so much, Betty. And thank you for your time today and for sharing your story. It's really been an honor to have a conversation with you. My honor. You can find out more about Betty and today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks in iTunes as well so you do not miss an episode. And on behalf of Betty and myself, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of CBO Speaks. We'll talk to you next time.